Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Hey there, Ed. How are you feeling today? Whoa, that caught me a little by surprise. That was intentional, right? That little emphasis you made there? You bet. And that's because our guest today is Peace Amadi, the author of Why Do I Feel Like This? And it's all about understanding our emotions and why doing so is so important to our mental and spiritual health. Yes, I was really blessed and encouraged by this conversation and by Peace's vulnerability, her transparency, and just the wisdom that she shows around Mm -hmm. issues of mental and spiritual health. Yeah. And, you know, personally for me, as a millennial woman of color, I was so excited to talk with an author who is also a millennial woman of color. And so I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way. Well, I don't think there is anyone out there listening who couldn't benefit from what Peace has to share. So let's get the show rolling. We are so excited to welcome Peace Amadi to the Every Voice Now podcast today. Welcome, Peace. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your personal backstory? It's like uh, where you grew up, where do you live now, and just give our listeners some insight into how you would describe your own sort of profession or calling. Sure. So I grew up in a town called Ontario, California. We're about an hour east of Los Angeles, California. But I was actually born in Oklahoma City, which being a California girl sounds really random right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that is where my parents immigrated from. I'm the first daughter of Nigerian immigrants, Uh and they somehow went from Nigeria to Oklahoma and had (laughs) my sister and I. As you do. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, found their way to California, Southern California, where they still are, actually. But I'm currently in Los Angeles. I work my day job anyway, as a um, psychology professor in Orange County, California. I work at this private Christian university called Hope. And then by night, I'm a whole bunch of other things. (laughs) (laughs) Superhero. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm a writer. I'm a coach. I coach particularly at the intersection of healing and business. So I'm really big on helping aspiring and emerging and established entrepreneurs and leaders be intentional about their mental health and healing. It's a a reflection of, you know, what has been really important to focus on in my own personal journey, just being someone who is currently in therapy and pursuing healing, even as I try and influence and walk in God's calling. You mentioned you're a Nigerian American. Can you tell us a little bit more about your ethnicity and your sort of ethnic identity journey? And, you know, what are some of the key moments in that journey that stand out to you that have sort of shaped how you view yourself today? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I identify as Nigerian American. I, my siblings and I were the first generation to, you know, to be born and raised in, in the United States. And what that meant growing up for me was kind of being the odd one out, kind of being, you know, different. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, 
I was bullied a lot. So that that's mm-hmm. my story. I'm mean, in, in the book. I know we'll talk about later. I talk about like big T traumas and little T traumas, and we all have an understanding of big T traumas. You know, we know like abuse and rape mm-hmm. and that, you know, some of the most difficult things that people endure, but there's also little T traumas. You may not see that list of traumas in, you know, what's called the DSM, which is what mental health professionals use to diagnose, mm-hmm. but those are the things that still impact us mm-hmm. pretty deeply and can be traumatic for us. And for me, that was my history of bullying. I was bullying pretty badly and it seemed to center around just being different, being like the, you know, the, the, the black kid in the class who wasn't Mm -hmm. black American and, you know, not dressing like everyone and not talking like everyone and not bringing food, you know, that people recognize. And so at first being Nigerian American felt like a bad thing um, growing up, but I, Mm -hmm. that definitely changed. That definitely changed by high school, late high school, early college, where I found my own people. I learned cultural pride and that I wasn't alone and that I belonged somewhere and that there was like mm. just so much beauty yeah. and strength to my culture. But also I think there was a parallel process of just our society in general, slowly becoming better at embracing different cultures. Uh, and I think yeah, that yes. is still happening today where now it's people love African culture, you know, people right. want to dress like Africans, like people mm. want to, you know, like love listening to Afro beats. I mean, right. the, our biggest Nigerian stars were on Beyonce's last album. Like I, we never wow. would have dreamed that Beyonce wow. would be teaming up with, you know, Wizkid and, mm. um, you know, th- these are biggest artists back home. And now they're selling out concerts in the United States and wow. in the UK. And it's like, what? when did that happen? <laughs> <Wow>. So <laughs> There's an oh, excitement. There's a, there's a, there's a pride. There's an uplifting. It's been just like a nice, like, you know, I'm good. And I'm going to sell, I'm going to yell at, <laughs> off the rooftops about being. Yes. American, <laughs> <you know? laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, how did you get to this book? Tell us about writing a book. You know, it's not for the faint of heart and it's always a huge undertaking. It t- takes everything. Why did you need to do this? Yeah, well, that's a big question, but I've always been a writer. I'll say that that was my um, safe space growing up. That's where, you know, writing my thoughts and also writing random fiction stories as well was just kind of how I found my peace and how I just learned to like understand myself in the world. So I always Mm -hmm. knew that I would write something and that would be a big part of my career. Why I started with emotions was because in my own personal journey and in the work over the years with clients, mentees, students, people in the church. I just, you know, learned pretty early on that, um, that a lot of us struggled with like what to do with our emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of us struggled with even accepting them in the first place. And particularly people who came up in the church kind of had a very antagonistic relationship with their emotions and felt like experiencing depression or experiencing anxiety made them bad people, made them unfaithful, made them, made God disappointed. And I, I really wanted to come and really kind of deconstruct that a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and help people see their emotions, not as enemies, but as friends, as their friends, as our friends, as our advocates, as um, a roadmap to our own healing, which is why, you know, I wrote a book called, why do I feel like this? (laughs) 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 Understand your emotions, you know what I mean? And find grace to move through, not, you know, 
not, I mean, this book could have easily been titled get over your emotions or, you know, like move past them, but it's like, no, understand where they come from. And let's, right, you right. know, with God and with each other and community move through them. Like this is a part of our lives and it's an important part of our lives. If we weren't supposed to experience emotion, the good and bad, God wouldn't have given us the ability to, it's just as simple mm-hmm. as that for me. So my emotional journey, learning to learning to embrace and understand my emotions was super key in my healing and mental health. And even in Mm. me being able to step boldly in God's purpose for my life. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to start here um, because I think this will be helpful for other people. Something we talk about on this podcast is the publishing journey and process of authors of color. And so as you think about your own publishing journey, can you share how it may have been different for you as an author of color to write and publish compared to those who might be in the majority culture? I've always had to consider, however fair or unfair that is, I've always had to consider the fact that I am a Black person, you know, writing, uh, being, and sharing stories to a uh, mostly non-Black audience, um, mm. you know, and I just knew that was going to be the situation, um, and that that typically is the situation, unless you're writing for just Black people or just Africans, which I don't know I mean, that can happen in different ways. You know that you're coming as a person of color with your own authentic stories that people may or may not understand or feel like they, you know, have form of opinions about what I would have, what I should have emphasized or not emphasized in my story. At the end of the day, I decided to do what I needed to do, but I remember that there was was a thought like, ah, you know, how is this going to come across? And the other issue, which I I was surprised that I was kind of timid about this was at some point in this journey, we had a conversation about what the book cover was going to look like. And it was Mm. a VP that suggested I put my face on it. And Mm. um, I was like, okay, (laughs) that's cool. Cause a lot of the books don't have author spaces on it. A lot of IVP books. Yeah. That's very unique for IVP too. Right. I was like, okay, that's weird. But then on top of that, I did think, okay, but I'm a black face. Like I'm very clearly like a black woman and will a white person like pick this book up if they see a black woman, you know, like I was having conversations Mm. in my head about, was that going to help me or hurt me? And Mm -hmm. however, true that is, or however fair or unfair that is, those are things as people of color, as black people in particular are always thinking about, like whether our race helps us or hurts us. And it's just something I don't think a lot of people have to think about, but we do. Wow. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I love that your face is on the cover. I remember one of our initial conversations we had when talking about marketing your book was you had said, I'm not just writing to black people. I'm writing about mental health to anybody who will read it. And I really appreciated you making this intentional stance of I don't want to be pigeonholed as the black woman speaking to black people about mental health, but I want this to matter to all communities. And so I want to reiterate that because I think that that matters, that just because you are an author of color doesn't mean you're only speaking to people of color. And so now I want to ask you, what did you wish you had known as you look back on this whole publishing process? Like what's something that would have been helpful for you to know that you didn't know before you began? Ooh, that it was going to tug on every single insecurity that I had. <laughs> and and then, uh, um, yeah, like I just... <laughs> Being someone who knew that I was always going to write and feel confident in my expertise. I mean, writing a book is, it's very 
vulnerable, you know? And so you're, you're having to think about, okay, what do you really want to, what do you really want to say? You know, what's really important to say? Um, but, and that's like, that's a challenge in and of itself, but, you know, it immediately, as soon as I would, you know, be convinced, this is what I want to say. I'm thinking, oh my God, but like, am I kind of, am I good enough to say this? You know what I mean? Like, is, is this going to be read well? Is this going to be understood well? And then you start thinking about like, is my book going to do well? Like, is, (laughs) you know, is this going to matter? Am I going to be really disappointed at the end about everything? And I think, in the middle of the journey, it became really helpful for me to reach back out to my therapist and start to like talk through some of these things. So I would give myself Mm -hmm. the freedom and the confidence to like, again, to continue to write authentically and kind of, kind of detach myself from the outcomes in a way, but I didn't know that it was going to be such a vulnerable anxiety producing Mm -hmm. insecurity threat or security threatening process. I would have done it regardless. Like that didn't stop me obviously, but Maybe I would have called my therapist earlier. <laughs> like, girl, we got to do this. You ready? <laughs> uh, I love great. it. Like, while you're writing the book, you're like, why do I feel like yeah, this? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You know, and I, I have to tell you um, when um, my editor, Al, sent me the email that said, um, okay, this is like your last read. Like, this is this is going to printing. And he wasn't even asking at that point you know, do you want to make any changes at that point? It was like, this is what's going to printing. So just so you know, Mm -hmm. I got it. And I burst into tears. Like I was weeping for like an hour because for some reason I was like, this book is terrible. Uh, There's mistakes. Mm -hmm. I should have said more here. I should have said more there. Like the finality of it just Mm-hmm. like wow. wrecked me in that moment. And that's in part, cause I'm a perfectionist and you know, all, all these things that again, I, I was just dealing with internally. I was, I was a hot mess that <laughs> when yeah. it became final and yeah. I, you just, I don't know, you can't, you just don't know what it's going to feel like until you're there. But mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. I was underestimating myself because here we are on this side of the, this yeah. side of it. And the, the messages I'm getting, it's, I mean, just one of these messages would have made me happy for the rest of my life, but I'm, I'm constantly getting messages about how this book mm. is impacting people. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. ridiculous. And so okay. I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm fulfilled. I'm humbled. I'm sobered. And I'm well, like, we are so glad that you, that you pushed through and uh, thank you. Yeah. we need to take yeah. a quick break, but when we return peace, will do a reading for us and we'll talk a little bit more about her book writing process. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Myla, it is incredible to me that IVP is about to turn 75 years old. Do you believe that? That's amazing. I know that is amazing. I mean, considering that so many book publishers have come and gone during that time. And so I'm so grateful to be part of such a long-standing legacy. Well, it's a testimony to IVP's commitment to publishing quality books, not to mention books by a diversity of authors. And this has been IVP's MO for the majority of its history. Yeah, and we keep finding more voices of color to highlight each and every season. And so visit everyvoicenow.com to find out how you can get a great discount on today's featured book and many more.
Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Myla Kim, and it's time for our Behind the Words segment, where we hear readings from our guests. And then we find out more about what went on behind the scenes of that portion. And so, Peace, what are you going to be reading for us today? And also, can you tell us why you picked this particular passage? Yeah, I'm going to be reading a section, a couple pages from my um, Envy chapter, actually. And it was, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sound like an emotional wreck this whole, this whole podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> it was just the part that I wrote that I remember um, being um, really emotional as I reflected, mm-hmm. as I reflected on that moment, um, just a very, very real moment that I shared in the book that, um, yeah, that I figure like this, I think this would be a great option to read here today. Awesome. Let's hear it. Okay. Our need for enoughness. What's making you put so much pressure on yourself? It was a question my therapist had asked me during one of our sessions. And honestly, I didn't have an answer. I had just shared with her that the night before I had caught myself feeling like I wasn't doing enough with my life. It was clearly triggered by an update from a friend who had shared another notch of her success. I'd been rooting for her for years and should have been happy, but instead I found myself negatively focused inward. This was someone from my same background and my same age, and she'd been scratching off her goals left and right that year. All I could think was that I wasn't doing enough and that I was falling behind. My therapist challenged my thinking. She pointed out the many accomplishments I too had under my belt, things I thought would come much later in my life, but were now very much behind me. I felt her looking at me with eyes that said, girl, what's not enough about all of that? Mm -hmm. But I just looked right back at her. I still didn't have an answer. Then she came right out with it. It's like, it's like you're trying to prove your worth. And there it was. The tears welled as I admitted to her that there was something to that. It wasn't something I saw until that moment, and it wasn't something I'd felt in years. Mm -hmm. I admitted I was a little embarrassed by the feeling, which she quickly shut down. She reminded me of the way so many of us try to prove our worth. We do it in different times and seasons, and there Mm -hmm. are so many different ways it manifests. Pangs of envy are just one of them. I thought about my spaces of influence and even a few of my recent conversations and knew she was right. If there is one thing that unifies us as humans, it's our resistance to believing we're enough. Envy is a problem with our sense of worthiness, and we won't feel worthy of anything unless we feel we're enough. When I teach about enoughness, I start with a basic definition. Look at how Merriam-Webster defines the word enough occurring in such quantity, quality, or scope as to fully meet demands, needs, or expectations. I love it every time I read it. When we believe we are enough, we believe that within ourselves, we have as much quantity, quality, and scope of whatever is needed to fully meet the demands and expectations of our lives. Whatever is required of relationships, the ones we have and the ones we desire, we have enough of it. Whatever is required of our career, we have enough of it. Whatever is required of success, we have enough of it. Whatever is required of lasting impact and influence, we have enough of it. Whatever is required for joy and happiness, we have enough of it. Whatever is required for the dreams of our hearts, we have enough of it. 
Whatever is required of the calling God put on our lives, we have enough of it for everything God has created, designed, and planned for us. We have enough of it. We don't need anything more than what we already have. I can imagine you reading that to a live group and and having them join in with you at the end. Yeah. We have enough of it. We yeah. have enough of it. That is powerful. Good yeah. idea. Good idea, Ed. <laughs> I just may do that. That pursuit of feeling like we're enough. I, I know that's universal. I know that's n- not just me. And I know that's a lifelong thing. I know there's points in all of our lives where we don't feel like we're good enough. And what that translates into is us doing things to try to prove our worth. And when we you mm-hmm. know, are in a place where we're trying to prove ourselves, um, nothing really good happens. I mean, we tire ourselves out doing the most unnecessarily emotionally haunting. We're driven by perfectionism. Um, we forget to take care of ourselves. We're in constant battles with comparison and envy. Yeah. I mean, that those are the things that come out of, I just need to prove I'm good enough, as opposed to knowing that you're already good enough and there's yeah. nothing more you need to do, but you know, there's, it's, it's really simple. It's really simple when it's not coming from a place of, I need to prove that I matter. No, you already matter. So just mm-hmm. do what makes sense for you. Right. You know, just do what call, God has called you to do. And let you take care of the you, rest. We have, have enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You alluded earlier to how vulnerable this book writing process is. And it's so interesting to hear you read those words that you've just read because you can actually hear how vulnerable you're being. But I feel like that's why there's such a strength to your book because you're being so vulnerable and open with people that it feels like it's giving people permission to do the same. And so I would love for you to share about the feedback that you've gotten from others about your book. Like, what have people said about your book that we can celebrate here? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) How do I even answer that? Um, (laughs) It's been, um, (laughs) I mean, uh, lots of thank yous, right? Thank you for writing this. Lots of, I wish I had this when I was 16, Mm -hmm. 18, 21. I mean, I had one guy in particular said, I wish I had this when I was in high school and considering suicide, you know, Mm. I wish I had something that told me like I was okay, you know, and that I was going to be okay. You know, like I've read in this book. Um, Mm. I had someone just a couple of days ago told me they got to my chapter in shame and said like, she didn't realize that what she was struggling with was shame. Um, She survived a, a ton of sexual trauma in her past and just didn't have the language for what she was feeling, Mm -hmm. um, and had no idea what to like, kind of what to do next. And so, and I've been getting quite a lot of that. Like I didn't have the language for this. I didn't know that this was a thing. I didn't know there was a term for this. I didn't know this wasn't just me. And that makes me really, really happy because that was a goal of the book. I mean, why do I feel like this? It's trying to give people language and a framework and also a sense of you're not alone for yeah. experiencing the things that they experience, however old or new. That's been a little thematic. Like, I didn't know this was a thing. Thank you for naming that thing, you know, from spiritual mm-hmm. bypassing, what, you know, which I talk about to just what anxiety is, what depression is, what envy is and all of that has been really great. Peace, you're you're writing about a topic that's deeply personal for so many people about understanding our emotions. Um, 
Do you have a sense of whether the book is having a different impact on majority white readers versus readers of color? My sense from my feedback is that it's affecting everybody. So, (laughs) which is, uh, makes me really happy. Um, I mean, this weekend I shared before we even started recording, you know, I was at the national Nigerian convention and and I'll, I'll be truthful that I would be a little sad if I felt like I wasn't breaking through with my own. Mm. I, I, let me admit that, um, Mm. that if, if, if this book didn't resonate with, you know, um, fellow Africans, fellow Nigerians and fellow black people in this country, I, I would have been sad because, mm. you know, I, I mean, that's who I am. And, you know, this is what I needed. But like I told Myla, I, my hope and my expectation was that this would resonate far and wide, um, mm-hmm. particularly for people who've come up actually in the church and may have gotten unhelpful messaging about their emotions and their mental health. Right. So, um, I'm getting the sense from the feedback I'm getting and from people who are posting, I'm resharing that it is, it is, um, impacting my own it's impacting, you know, white peoples it's impacting Asian peoples and Hispanics. And it's actually even impacting people who are not religious. And that's been yeah. another kind of surprise. Wow. My last wow. message was actually from a Muslim woman. And she said, um, she said, I didn't think I would resonate with this book, but I wanted a book on mental health and, and I resonated and she literally reposted it and said, I'm a Muslim woman. And I resonated with this. Um, You can too, but for sure, my Christian friends, this is for you. And I, I I cried after that message, like that is freaking wild, Um, but, but very welcome and very exciting. Well, we need to take another quick break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with peace and find out more about her personal writing habits and your quirks. (laughs) (laughs) You'll also find out how to get a special discount on Peace's book. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. This holiday season, what could be better than giving the gift of learning? And Seminary Now is here to help. Give your favorite learner an all-access pass to our streaming service, featuring video courses from best-selling IVP authors, such as Esau Macaulay. When we look at the injustice in the world, We're going to address the perennial issue of slavery, and we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. John Walton. The way I like to say it is that the Bible is written for us, but it's not written to us. Brenda Salter McNeil. The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. And many more. For a limited time, get 40% off an annual subscription using the code HOLIDAY40. That's code H-O-L-I-D-A-Y-4-0, HOLIDAY40, at SeminaryNow.com. Give the unforgettable gift of learning this year from Seminary Now. For more information and to see our growing catalog of on-demand courses, go to SeminaryNow.com. You are listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth. Today, we've been talking with Peace Amadi, author of the book, Why Do I Feel This Way? And keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% discount on Peace's book at ivypress.com. But first, let's find out a little bit more about your writing habits and quirks. This is sort of a, are you ready for this? This is sort of a lightning round time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I ready. Always have to, I always have to prepare our authors for this. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. First, think about a time when you had writer's block or when it was really hard to keep going. What did you do to push through? Um, well, I had writer's block 
quite often, I think I had writer's resistance. I'm going to make up a term because I was like, wow. you know what? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? That, that, I was that, that like, good. Yeah, the term was like, you know what? I don't like this book anymore. I don't care. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> don't email me. But then here comes Al. Hi, Peace. How are we doing? <laughs> um, so I think, um, and I think that's just part of the process. When you're, when you're in something day in, day out, every day for literally months, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good it is. There's going to be a mm-hmm. point where you're like, I, I'm over it. But what's really helpful is actually something super basic. And it's literally just getting up and walking around. Um, mm-hmm. There is some brain science around um, the, um, the, like the synergy between like, I don't know if it's like thinking and creating and movement. So it's the reason why you can be stuck for like an hour, but you just get up and take a quick walk around or take a drive or go work out. And all of a sudden your best ideas just flood you. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of noticed that like on accident and then actually researched it and saw it was a real thing. So at some point tried to be like intentional about, okay, I'm stuck, go take a quick walk, hop in the car, drive anywhere. And yep, sure enough, something would like open up, clarify mm-hmm. in my mind. And then I would hurry back home. Like, no, don't leave. Don't leave my head. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah, good. that's one thing I did that helped. That's the mm-hmm. key. You have to come back. Sometimes I get stuck and I walk and I, I just never come back. You just run away. Yeah. Okay. Number two, what was a quirky or unusual habit or practice that you developed in order to write your book? Something that no one else knows that sustained you or inspired you or motivated you along the way. <laughs> this is going to I mean, maybe so you bad, needed a bowl but... of ice cream or. <laughs> no, know, literally. Had it to go on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally cake. Like it was literally cake. So <laughs> I don't know why, but it was literally cake. So I, I'm not suggesting people do this. I'm sure there's like. <laughs> As, l- as long as they keep walking <laughs> right, from right, the right, previous right. Go, tip. Yeah. Go yeah, walk yeah. it off. You know, <laughs> um, my dentist hates me because the amount of sugar <laughs> that I, you know, use to comfort myself, it's terrible. Um, but yeah, so sweet things in general, just, I just, I feel like they help me through life, any form of sweetness, but there's, I just have a favorite cake that I would take a bite of. And then again, go walk around and that helped me. Um, Mm -hmm. but then also like all jokes aside, I kind of just had to also start putting myself on like a strict schedule to get, to start getting this, you know, stuff away. And I told them, Hey guys, I'm going under the radar. Don't call me because I'll be distracted (laughs) from this day to this day, from this hour to this hour, me and my cake Mm -hmm. and my computer, you know, we got to get this done. So yeah. Right. Were there any moments that were funny or heartwarming or heartbreaking or instances that were unforgettable? I've always worked best under pressure. And so I remember that when I pitched, it was like, yeah, I can write this book in like, you know, what did I say? Six months. <laughs> that was a joke because the six <laughs> month, <laughs> the six month mark came around and I'm like, wow, look at this blank canvas. <laughs> so, 
remember, you know, I remember um, reaching out for an extension and gratefully I got one and then just being like, okay, peace. And so between you and me and everybody else that's going to listen, um, when I felt <laughs> the pressure and then got permission to like extend, I feel like I literally wrote this book more so in two, three months than mm. like that full time I got because I wasn't, girl, I was not working that whole time. I was like, oh, <laughs> I had a book deal. Oh, I'm <laughs> you know, and then when my first deadline passed and I'm like, okay, this is bad. <laughs> then the next like two to three months became day in, day out, sleep, eat, breathe the book. And, uh, you know, I'd had my outline and my research, but as far as writing, it had to be like a concentrated pressurized time, which is just Mm -hmm. how it is with me. It's so annoying. I stress everyone out. They're like, girl, they're going to fire you, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And I'm like, no, no, no. But like low key. So, uh, I, I, you know, I figured it out. So do you have any models or inspirational figures that you draw from in your own writing journey? Yeah, I have plenty. I guess the, the, one of the most recent ones um, is actually this woman, um, Mandy Hale. She uh, is the author of quite a few books and quite a few New York best time sellers. And what I liked about her writing was she was also very super, super, super vulnerable. So her -hmm. books are just full of super personal stories and anecdotes. And I just felt like whatever she had to say was really well received because she was so personal and vulnerable about her own journey. And she talks Mm -hmm. a lot about um, being single. She's, she's, I don't know if she's still single, but when I started reading her, she was in her late thirties and talking a lot about singleness. And I feel like just because of unfortunately how the church has talked about marriage and singleness, it's, you're almost made to feel ashamed for being single at a certain age as a woman and her just sharing, um, just so vulnerably about what that was like and her experiences and her successful dating experiences and less successful dating experiences. I knew that whatever I wrote about and whatever I would write about, I also wanted to take that, that approach, um, of being personal and vulnerable. So that, that was another person that helped me make that decision. And as far as the tone of my book, even though I was this professional, this doctor, I felt like I could do both well. So she's inspirational as far as being super vulnerable, letting that kind of be one of the core pieces of how she writes. So as we wrap up our time together, what advice do you have for up and coming authors of color about their own publishing journey? No, be convinced that people need you, your story, your authenticity. Um, No, or at least go in therapy and start um, understanding that your um, ethnicity, your heritage, your race, all of that uh, will work for you, not against Mm -hmm. you, despite, you know, the messaging we've received growing up and trust yourself, trust that what you have to offer is needed. Well, peace. We have come to the end of our time together. We should have some music playing right now. (laughs) But but before we go, we want to give you a few moments to share with our listeners about any special projects you have going on right now and how people could best reach you. Yeah. So Myla knows me a little bit. I always have things going on. So I would say the Mm -hmm. best things, plural, (laughs) Like a lot of S's. I would say the best thing to do is actually get connected on Instagram. I'm the most um, 
most active on that particular platform at It's Peace Amati. And to hop on my mailing list, there's there's different ways in. You can get, you know, a free core belief checklist or just join generally or but all that information is laid out in my Instagram bio as well as my website. Um, but I would okay. just say sign up for that so you get all the updates because I am always thinking about creating something, always creating creating something, always launching something yes. that's going to help you do one of two things, heal and lead. Mm. So if you're interested awesome. in that, there you let's go. get connected. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And yeah. uh, it's been great having you on the show today. Yeah. It's been so great and so fun. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks, And now we want to share with you all that you can find Peace's book, Why Do I Feel This Way? at ivypress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free U.S. shipping. So visit the site to get a great deal on Peace's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now. Or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivpress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. Every Voice Now.